0: And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin, and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. Alright, on with the show. Warning, some information detailed in this episode may stir up or trigger unpleasant feelings or thoughts. Please take care, and if needed, Contact the 24-hour residential school crisis line at 1-866-925-4419 if you require emotional support. A young indigenous man from Guard Alberta, enlisted to fight in the Second World War, and he just received a secret summons from the Canadian High Command in London. Confused, he asked his superior officers about it, but they were oblivious as well. The summons said to go to a specific location, at a specific time, on a specific day. And when that time came, he showed up on time, and as he walked into the large room, he saw at least 100 other Indigenous men standing there. They all wore Canadian uniforms and all seemed as confused as he was. He looked around, but saw no familiar faces. Then, several high-ranking individuals walked into the room, and as they walked in, they asked the men what indigenous language they spoke. When he was asked, the young man said, Cree. He was separated and grouped with other men who also spoke Cree. He was then paired with a man from Saskatchewan. They were put in different rooms with a phone and told to translate an English message to and from Cree. Once they had successfully completed this, they were told they were now code talkers and sworn to secrecy. Charles Tompkins kept that secret for decades. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. Often when I research an episode, I have ample information at my disposal to craft a narrative. However, this time it was tough to find the information I needed because the man who is the subject of the episode, Charles Tompkins, didn't talk about what he did during the war until just before his death. Nonetheless, it's a fascinating story to tell. Charles Marvin Tompkins was born to Isabella and Peter Tompkins on January 8, 1918, in Guard, Alberta, a small community located four hours north of Edmonton on the shores of Lesser Slave Lake. Tompkins grew up in a quiet community with his family that included nine other biological children and three stepchildren. They nicknamed him Chixis, which means Checker. His brothers couldn't explain the nickname and stayed with Charles until the very end of his life. His parents were Métis and often spoke Cree in English within the home, which made the children bilingual. His parents wanted to ensure that their children learned Cree to maintain the cultural connection to their ancestors. Their grandmother was a widow of the celebrated chief pound maker, who led the Cree for many years in the 19th century and it was said her uncle was Big Bear, another important Cree chief. Charles' grandmother also taught him Cree, and told him that if he was ever in combat, he should sing the war song she taught him, to protect him. At the time, speaking an indigenous language at home was incredibly important because of the residential school program. In 1900, there were 22 industrial schools and 39 residential schools. Then it expanded during Charles' lifetime, and by 1931, the peak of the residential school program, there were 80 schools in operation around Canada. It was mandatory for Indigenous children to attend residential schools, as it was illegal for them to attend any other educational institution. The goal was to force Indigenous children to assimilate into European culture by taking them from their parents and forbidding them from speaking in their language or celebrating their culture. Now, I couldn't find a record of Charles or his siblings attending a residential school. Survivor records are not easily found. But, considering the time, it is likely they attended the Gord Indian Residential School, now known as the St. Bernard's Residential School, which operated from 1894 to 1961. This is the same school where, in 2022, 169 potentially unmarked graves were discovered on the property. There are many survivors and people affected by the residential school system, and support is available at 1-866-925-4419, 24 hours a day for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of the residential school experience. Now back to Charles's story. In 1939, he married Lena Anderson, and shortly after, Charles enlisted with the Canadian Army to fight overseas in the Second World War. In the background of the Great Depression, enlisting with the army ensured a paycheck for his wife and family. And of the 10 siblings in the family, 6 served in the Second World War, which was common for indigenous families across the country. Despite not being allowed to vote and enduring the residential school program and other trauma, over 3,000 indigenous people enlisted to fight for Canada in the Second World War. Six months after Charles enlisted, he crossed the Atlantic Ocean, destined for Europe with his brother Peter. The trip was terrible. Charles was one of 800 soldiers who spent 11 days on a crowded ship in the rough seas with nothing to eat but salted herring and beets. On Christmas Eve 1941, they landed in Scotland, and Charles was assigned to the 2nd Canadian Armoured Brigade, where he would begin working with tanks. Until a few months later, when a message came in that completely changed his life. That's when the Canadian High Command sent Charles a baffling recruiting message. He later described the meeting he went to as, When I got there, there were all kinds of different Indians. We didn't know what it was all about. That was Charles' first step towards becoming a Code Talker. For Code Talkers, secrecy was paramount. They quickly became key to the Allied war effort because up until then, Germany and Japan were able to break Allied codes, allowing them to know battle plans, making it easy for them to prepare and defend. The Allies had an ace up their sleeve though, the indigenous languages of North America. The Germans and Japanese were unfamiliar with them. They have a different root language, which is completely different from anything the Axis had in Europe or Asia, so they couldn't decipher it and be able to crack the code. The use of indigenous languages actually dates to the First World War, when Cherokee, Comanche and other indigenous languages were used by the United States to hide messages from the Germans. Navajo and Mohawk were used by the United States primarily in the Pacific War against Japan in the Second World War, but in Europe, Cree was the language of choice. Outside of North America, Cree was virtually unknown, making it perfect for encoding battle plans. Cree was also chosen as the coding language to use because of its accuracy in translation between it and English. The language is actually called, and I'll do my best with this, Nahi Ya Win, and it consists of five dialects which are spoken by the Plains Cree, Woodlands Cree, Swampy Cree, Moose Cree, and other Cree nations. These dialects were found in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec. And when code talkers were assigned to each other, they were often simply assigned in pairs if the other person spoke Cree. There was little thought of dialects, which created challenges for the code talkers as they now had to translate messages from English and find the proper word across five different dialects before being able to successfully code and decode the messages. Although he was part of the Canadian Army, the United States had a much larger code talker program and Charles was assigned to the United States 8th Air Force and the 9th Bomber Command. Working with five other Cree-speaking soldiers, they translated information about troop movements, supply lines, and bombing runs. Once the messages were translated, they were sent to battlefields where another code talker translated the message back to English. The use of the indigenous languages created some challenges though. There were no words for bombers, machine guns, and tanks. Charles and the other co-talkers had to use pre-existing words in new ways, and they all had to agree on them. The Mustang aircraft was referred to as Wild Horse, and the Spitfire was simply called Fire. A machine gun was Little Gun That Shoots Fast, and the Mosquito Fighter Bomber was simply called Mosquito. The B-17 bomber used the words for B and the number 17. The German high command was never able to break the Cree code, and it ensured American success in bombing raids. The cruel irony is not lost on me that if residential schools had been successful in forbidding and thus killing indigenous language, it could have very much changed the result of war efforts during the Second World War. Two years after he first became a code talker, Charles and the others were all sent back to their units where they continued to fight. For the remainder of the war, Charles saw action in France, Germany, and Holland. And when it was over, Charles and his five siblings, who all survived the war, thankfully returned home. For his service during the war, Charles was awarded the Defense Medal, the 1939-1945 Star, the France and Germany Star, the Canadian Volunteer Service Medal, and the War Medal 1939-1945. Sworn to secrecy, Charles took that oath very seriously and few ever learned about his service as a co-talker. Years later, he said, Although we've done the job as Cree Indians, that part doesn't matter. I've done what I was asked, and that's good enough. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But... What if I told you that the Avril Levine we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Levine? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Discharged after the war, Charles was given $100 to buy civilian clothes, a transport warrant, and a handshake. Unlike white soldiers, he was not told about any land he was entitled to as a reward for his service. This was unfortunately common for many indigenous soldiers who fought for Canada. And with little options, he chose to go back to the army to provide for his family. He was first stationed at Curry Barracks in Calgary, and then spent the next 25 years serving in different regiments in Canada, including with the Royal Canadian Army Service Corps and the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. By the end of his military career, he had risen to the rank of Corporal, one rank above Private. It was one rank below the highest rank for junior non-commissioned members, Master Corporal, and two ranks below Sergeant. So... How could someone spend 25 years in the armed forces and only rise to the rank of corporal? When others with this experience would be a lieutenant, captain, or at least a sergeant. Well, it came down to the fact he was indigenous. Charles said years later that no matter what he did as a soldier, he was always overlooked for promotions. Now, you might be wondering... If Charles was so committed to the secret oath, how did I know he was a co-talker? Well, the answer to that is hidden in muddy waters and dates. In some sources, Charles' brother Jimmy said he learned of his brother's secret in 1992 after they watched the movie *Wind Talkers*, starring Canadian Indigenous actor Adam Beach and Nicolas Cage. This fact was stated in several newspapers as well, he said in an interview in 2015. I had no idea that he had been involved with co-talking. After we saw that movie, he started talking about it. That was the first time that I had ever heard anything about it. Now, the issue is, like, Windtalkers was released in 2002. And just prior to the movie's release, the Ottawa Citizen interviewed Charles about his co-talker service. There's also a Calgary Herald story about Charles from November 2000, two years before Windtalkers was released. And in some sources, his brother Jimmy was involved, while in others, it was his brother Frank. Considering Jimmy is the one quoted in the newspaper, I believe it's him. But as I said, it's a bit muddled, but I want to cover all the angles. The fact of the matter is that for decades, until at least the early 1990s to early 2000s, Charles said little to nothing about his time as a code talker. Speaking of it, his brother Jimmy said, All that time, they were under an oath of secrecy and they honored it. I never knew about it. The work of Charles and others had been declassified by the Canadian government in 1963, but most refused to break their oath and never talked about it, and there was little press coverage about the Code Talkers upon the declassification of their work. I did a search through every major newspaper in Canada from 1963, and there was no mention of Code Talkers. In fact, there's nothing until the 2000s after Charles' story comes to light. Charles took a secret nearly to the grave. Charles was in his 80s when his family learned about his service as a Code Talker around the same time that Calgary Herald article came out in 2000. In it, Charles said of his comrades, They are long dead now. I am the only one alive except maybe one or two in Saskatchewan. And when the movie Wind Talkers was released, there was a renewed interest in Code Talkers the sudden interest in Code Talkers was an annoyance to Charles, who was happy with the recognition, but felt it was too little, too late. He said, What upsets me is I've got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. It is a little late now. I'm really discouraged about it. In 2003, Charles gave the names of other Code Talkers he knew so their story could be preserved. There were Walter McDermott, his brother Peter, his half-brother John Smith, and his friend Archie Plant. That year, two representatives from the Smithsonian also came to Calgary to interview him about the Cree Code Talkers program. He said, I love my country and I have done everything they asked me to do. That's why I was in the Army. In 2016, a short documentary about Charles was released called Cree Code Talker through the National Film Board and Aboriginal Veteran Society of Alberta. And apart from his own oath of silence, why don't we know more about Canada's Code Talkers? The Navajo co-talkers in the United States received the highest military award in the United States in 2001, the Congressional Medal of Honor. In fact, another Charles, Charles Chibidi, the last co-talker in the United States received a medal for extraordinary service at the Pentagon's Hall of Heroes. But for Canada's co-talkers, it's a very different story. In 2000, Janice Summerbee, a spokesperson for Veterans Affairs said, The lot spoke in their native language, veterans are recognized in many ways, and there are so many people who contributed. We have to review his record, and the department will make a decision." Charles only received a letter of commendation from Veterans Affairs, and even that commendation was not specifically for his code talking, but for his service in the military throughout his life. Even today it is unknown how many Canadian code talkers there were, because code talking was never officially adopted into the Canadian military. Charles died in 2003. Before he did, he said of a lack of recognition, It doesn't surprise me. It is just like everything else. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Readers Digest, CBC, Regina Leader Post, Wikipedia, Radio Canada, Ottawa Citizen, Edmonton Journal, Calgary Herald, Canada History, and Cree Code Talker. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Valesquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig@canadaehx.com, at Canada, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.